Get ready to get your Klingon on. Hmm, that's awkward. Or is it clockward? Anyway, this episode's all about Klingons. And Klingons do not take hostages. You'll hear a lot of this. Give me Genesis! And this. You killed my son. We ain't kidding. It's gonna be all about the Klingons. They didn't say things like, I do not understand. Right! STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast, episode 19, coming at you right about now. Ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Five. Me, me, me. Four. Uh, three. <clears throat> two. Oh. One. I've officially got my Picard on now. Oh, 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 welcome everyone to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast. The podcast that isn't afraid to be about fringe entertainment like this so-called Star Trek. I mean, what's the shelf life on this thing, Dave? Uh, uh, This is going to go on all the way until the 24th century. Wow. I like your optimism. I am a Katanga-class warship uh, Andrew, and with me is my best friend in the whole wide world. Uh, Commander Dave E. Dave. Dave E-Dave, the E standing for... Enterprise, you fool! What are we doing here, Dave? What, <laughs> what, what, is, what, is, what is this foolishness about? What are we doing? Did you forget? I, uh, I, have, you, I have a very bad memory, yes. All right, you and I have been ticking down all 178 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. And today's episode, today's exciting episode, is a little uh, gem that we call... Heart of Glory, Dave. Episode <laughs> n- 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 19. N- n- 19. Oh, you know what? I've been waiting all season for episode 19 because. N- 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 19. Vietnam! Saigon! <laughs> Vietnam! Saigon! Kittimer! Kronos! <laughs> The age of the average Klingon was n- 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 19. I talk about obscure. I-, I tell people about that song, 19, and it's from. 19. Yeah. Probably when this, this uh, show came out, 1988, but people don't remember that song. And I don't know why you you and I have somehow uh, uh, connected with it. Yes, yes. And it's impossible for me to hear the word Vietnam without thinking immediately, Saigon, Vietnam, Saigon. He didn't know what the hell was going on! While you're in there listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music or now Amazon Music, mm. please open up your account and check out a little n- 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 19 but only after you finish listening to this episode. Purple Hot, Saigon! All right, so this episode, this is it, it's an interesting episode because it's one mm. of those episodes that, that kind of puts down a deposit that'll be uh, collecting interest right. and paying off in the bank mm. of Star Trek as we go on with this delightful series because this is really where we start our Worf, Worf. arc. Our Worf's storyline begins right here. The line must be drawn. Can you tell me a little bit about what happens in this episode? Or are you hate you hate doing the summary, don't you? No, no, I'll do it. The Enterprise D enters a neutral zone to answer a distress call. 
end up rescuing a band of Klingons. Right? A band? How many? How many do you need to be in a band? Well, uh, three, I think. Three. I okay. Think. Uh, one one of the three of them dies back on the ship from wounds he sustained on the tarpus or something like that. The tap wall. The tarpus. You know what I'm going to tell you? It's it's mm. the only thing involved with the Klingons that doesn't start with a K. Everything else is going to start with a K. Right? But they're not. But this is on... this is the Batris. This is the Batris. But that's not a Klingon ship, is it? No, it's it's a Talarian freighter. Talarians. And I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Batris fight uh, Gamera? Isn't that one of the movies? Gamera versus Batris. Yeah, that's my favorite Godzilla movie, of course. Yeah. Okay. Gamera, not Godzilla. Ay ay ay. Oh jeez, that's my favorite. Um, what? Who so anyway, it? what else happens All in right. this uh, episode? <laughs> and they bring him back to the ship. Cor- uh, the, the two remaining Klingons are Chorus and Conmel. Con, yes, Conmel. I, I love a Conmel with my coffee. Chorus and Conmel. And immediately, when War finds out some fellow Klingons are coming on board, he wants to hook up with these two characters, and they try to woo old Warfie over to their side. Before we know it, they 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 try to hijack. The Enterprise's battle bridge, which, if, if everybody doesn't know by now, is the bottom part of the Enterprise once the saucer section separates. You'll see it next episode in Arsenal of uh, Freedom. Manual docking! They're going to rip off the Enterprise and, and go around the galaxy and act like what they think proper Klingon should be doing, which is like causing mayhem and, and panic all over the galaxy. If, if I can quote Star Trek VI, uh, the undiscovered country, yes, they're going to cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. Oh, my God. Is that Christopher Plummer? That is, in fact, Christopher Plummer. He, he, he played a, a Klingon in Star Trek VI. Yes, General Krog. With a K, General Kang. What do you think about Star Trek VI? Is that, do, you, do, you, do you think that holds up? I think it holds up, especially the signatures at the end of the movie, because I've used those <laughs> to kite several checks in and around uh, Topanga. Uh, Walter Koenig, you'd be surprised, has really deep pockets. Uh, or we're supposed to believe Worf struggles with his inner Klingon to decide whether he's going to go with these fools and hijack the ship or not. Okay, that's that's an excellent that's an excellent summary. This hearing just hearing that summary has made me thirsty. However, hold on. Oh, look at that. Ah. You know what I'm suggesting? The last episode, these are these have got to be like um, Zimas or something. Do they still make those? No. God, no. <laughs> yeah, they're right next to Crystal Pepsi in the, uh, in the cooler. <laughs> I know they don't make Zimas anymore. I just can't think of anything else that comes in a can that's like... Not a you know beer. How about a beer? How about that? <laughs> so let me tell you what I what I think about this episode is it is sort of interesting, but it's not really the most exciting episode. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the fact that they tried to build some excitement here yes. at some point. We we finally get some background to Worf, and I remember this watching the show for the first time, thinking to myself, "So are we ever going to find out how a Klingon ended up here? Is there like more Klingons in Starfleet? Is he the only Klingon in Starfleet? What what is up with these Klingons and Starfleet?" Yeah. It became like a whole Jerry Seinfeld routine before I even knew who Jerry Seinfeld was. What is up with these Klingons? <laughs> Who's the ad genius that came up with that idea? It's funny that you say that because I really didn't think much of that. I, I didn't think we'd be getting those answers because I, I kind of feel like with some of the characters, they're just kind of glossing over some of their backstory. And I and I, I just figured, uh, now Klingons are in Starfleet, and that's, that's, that's that. I didn't really expect there to be more to it than, than that. It sort of surprised me that we got that much information about Worf 
this early on. It, it it struck me because I remember your favorite Christopher Lloyd. I mean, I think he was the last major Klingon interaction we had. And the, he certainly wasn't, you know, a kind of neatly pressed, uh, shiny sash wearing Starfleet officer. Right. It was, it was a comp- very, very antagonistic relationship. Klingon bastard, you killed my son. God, Admiral Kirk. Did I, have I done this one yet? I can't remember. Admiral, no, I think you... Admiral Kirk, give me Genesis. Marty, Marty. Marty. <laughs> it's your kids. Who's the vice president then? Marty, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I love... Uh, Listen, so anyway, those something. are the I last... I love Christopher Lloyd. I don't, I don't understand why. I, I felt like that his Klingon was just fine. I know you did. I, I couldn't... I, I just kept seeing Reverend Jim. From Taxi. Old. Old people. Well, So well, we, we find a, out... It's a great show, okay. It is a great show. We find out uh, a little bit about Worf's origins, that he was, uh, he was orphaned and he was found in the aftermath of a Romulan attack on, on the Kittimer outpost by these humans that adopt him. Right. They raise Worf as their own. But what's interesting about it is we find out that he, hasn't, he was raised by humans. He wasn't raised by Klingons and has, at least at this point, appears to have a very tangential relationship to them. In other words, I mean, it becomes like a real nature versus nurture argument. Right. Because he's a Klingon raised by humans. I mean, how much... It, it gets a little sticky here, and and I think right. the politics have, have evolved a lot over the last couple of decades, especially now to the point where identity politics are a lot more complex, and we understand that the question of, you know, assimilation, the, the tension of attempting to be uh, true to your original culture is, is a very real struggle, but we have a bit of a problem here because he, he's saying that he's Klingon based on his biology— Whereas his nurture or upbringing is not that at all. At the core of this is this idea that is there something that's inherently Klingon that's inside a wharf that's coming out, like biology is taking over. And, and this is a, a notion about people from all over our world that was popular in 1988. I think that it's problematic when you think about the casting of having an African-American person play this Klingon, you can totally see the thinking at the time. They're like, hey, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we cast a black guy as a Klingon? We haven't seen that before, right? Right, right. And then they were just really blind to all of these complicated issues that come up with that casting. The issues are more complicated by the fact that he and LeVar Burton are the only prominent black actors on the show. If there were more black actors right. on there, it wouldn't be as obvious that you have uh, a person we would we would consider now to be differently abled guy that you're going to put down in the engineering section later, and the savage guy um, as the representatives of uh, savage in quotes, please savage in quotes. That well, it is true because there's this feeling, and and the the you know, chorus and Conmel even say this. Have you you know has right. he been tamed? Is he tamed? And it it has that really uncomfortable feel to it in a lot of ways. This idea that you know this there's there's something so almost kind of sideshow unique about Worf. Right. You know, look, he's a Klingon in a Starfleet uniform. Isn't that crazy? So let me ask you this: Are we to believe that he's the only Klingon in Starfleet? Is that what we're supposed to? Yeah, believe? because and yes, exactly. And he's the only Klingon in Starfleet because he was raised by these humans, right? Exactly. Okay. 
unless something happens that I am not aware of or that I've forgotten because I'm old, we don't ever see another uh, Klingon in Next Generation who is a member of Starfleet. Okay. It is really complicated because is he, quote-unquote, tamed? Well, no, because that that whole warrior-centric upbringing, even though he constantly asserts it, I'm a warrior. I'm a warrior. I can't have sex with human females because I'll kill them, argues for a kind of biological imperative that there is something innate in him that is Klingon that, that has to be tamed in order for him to be able to operate among humans. Right. And that's really uncomfortable. Yeah, and... Are his parents, are they white parents too? Yeah, I believe they are. I know, I think it's Paul Sorvino who ends up playing his brother in a later episode. Yeah. Um, But his parents, if I remember properly, are white. Okay. I mean, it's saying a lot, and I just just wonder how in tune they were at the time to these issues. I mean, were they trying to speak to that? I mean, were they trying to say something, or was it just, just totally tone deaf about... Uh, a race and 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 in particular the casting of this this guy in this role. I think the casting is uh, is definitely something that the, I don't know that they're they're actually thinking this through and putting these things together. Okay, that's and again, I mean too. it's 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 definitely not the forefront of the conversation at the time. Star Trek has never resolved its kind of colonial upbringing that it absolutely still has to struggle with that tension. That the fact that they're all about assimilation at some point, they're all about, well, listen, we're going to honor you. We want everyone to feel equal. Everyone has equal rights. And we have all these different races in the Federation. At other moments, there's like clear tension, right? Like there's tension about the Vulcans being called like the intellectual puppets of the Federation. It, it never resolves that dynamic. So how do you have a united federation of planets with so many different races but they all have the same values and the same goals yeah uh, i don't know it is interesting there's this idea that and i think the klingons bring it up you know these klingon saboteurs who come onto the ship try to convince Worf of this very thing this idea that the federation has somehow subdued this whatever they've tamed him they've tamed him right and you know doesn't he want to break those bonds and then you've got the later on we have a klingon ship who they come to to take the two klingons away yes the captain of the ship who Worf ends up speaking to directly he seems like his will has been broken in some way to make this whatever arrangement he's had to make to be part of starfleet now that they've ended their Starfleet versus Klingon Empire Wars. And he seems to almost reminisce for the, you know, the old ways. Yeah, and that's, I mean, part of the problem is, though, too, is that even after all of these decades that we've had Star Trek up to this point, up to up to this particular episode, that we've never delved into anything to do with the Klingons. They've just always been a very convenient villain. Right. And it was easy to make them a villain simply by making them the opposite of what they wanted the Federation to be. Well, okay, then they had the great idea, let's bring them into the Federation, but how are they supposed to be the opposite? And we've talked about this before, too, when we were talking about the Ferengi, how it's, you know, it's a little bit of an effort to imagine a fully layered Klingon society. We know they have art, we know they have poetry, we know they have a tea ceremony, which we'll see next season. Right. And then we see their death ritual, they have different rituals and so on. But how does that function in a society? Because you can't imagine 
you know, I mean, the war, the idea of the warrior poet exists, absolutely no problem, but it's hard to imagine an intellectual class of Klingons because they'd get their ass kicked all the time. The original Klingons, I think, were supposed to be Russians, and so you, from the original series, and so you have, they were the enemy, mm-hmm. they were the, the other enemy, and they were, you know, mean and gruff, and they were all white people at that point. Right. I mean, and this is before the big, I, 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 just, just in case anybody missed this, in Star Trek, the motion picture the klingons make this huge evolutionary leap where they start getting uh bumps and big teeth and they do that to emphasize the otherness i know but they're making them like monsters they did it in star trek the motion picture because they wanted to bring these villains to the big screen and say that they're oh now they're really scary this is always it's it's like george lucas coming back and remaking his movies later on like this is always what we wanted from the Klingons they were always supposed to be these terrible monsters they weren't just like they didn't look a, a little different they they're they're totally you know creatures right right and so they you know they carry that into next gen but they are totally different there there's so many differences in them i mean this this whole they 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 just sort of spoke in a normal cadence you know they wore clothes that that were cloth you know they they had they had right. you know they didn't they didn't have big ridges on their foreheads but they didn't say things like you know i do not understand and klingons do not take hostages you know they would just right. talk in in, yeah. in normal cadence and that's the kind of silliness and I, we probably have talked about this before too where you know if you're supposedly you're a primitive person you can't use contractions but instead you can use formalized English. I don't really understand how that works. But, you know, if you're a cave person, you're supposed to say, you know, like, Thog d- does not understand what <laughs> no, future person it, is saying. Silly. You know, it's dumb. <laughs> right, but there's yeah, always yeah. been this weird otherness in Star Trek, too. They're all about melding together, but at the same time, they're all about, right. look at this weirdo. And McCoy, and I, 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 I'm certainly not the first to say this, McCoy is downright racist when it comes to Spock. He makes some horrible comments and keeps calling him green-blooded this and green-blooded that and pointier this. Right, right. And it would be very easy to stick in, you know, the name of any or characteristic of any non-Caucasian people right. and have those things sound completely awful. It feels uncomfortable to watch those episodes now because he is so openly able to use anti-Vulcan terms uh, you know, he calls them feelingless sometimes. Uh, I mean, the yeah, green-blooded. Yeah. The idea that he is mm-hmm. making a point to criticize him or make fun of him because of his otherness. I mean, it certainly was a big part of the original series. And it was supposed to be funny, too. Right. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, uh, McCoy's mean. It was actually uh, supposed to be a joke that they're goofing on. Right, good-natured. Uh, yeah. They even compare him straight out to Satan a couple of times. Right. And then also what will happen in Next Gen is we're going to have Dr. Pulaski... Uh, Dr. Pulaski next season. So she next season's going to be hard uh, for for Katanga <laughs> Katanga Warrior Class uh, Vessel Andrew because <laughs> I I really don't like Kate Pulaski mostly because I I love Beverly Crusher Beverly and again it's no diss on Dinah Mulder who's wonderful but uh, yeah she you know the actress was and I know you hate this but she of course was also from L.A. Law. Ding. I don't remember. I didn't actually remember that she came in so early in season two. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they do. I think Gates McFadden was off doing. Yeah, she either walked away or was pushed away or whoever you want to talk to. I, I think she's having a baby or something. 
She has a kid. Was she? Yeah, well, she will. either way, she came back. Good. One of the things I hate about Dr. Pulaski is how she treats Data. She does that thing where she calls him Data all the time, and then Data corrects her, and she's like, why can that matter to you? What do you care? And it's oh, like, because really? I have feelings. Thank you. I'm a person. I didn't realize she was so mean to Data. It's awful. The thing with Worf, too, to get back to the actual point of the episode, Worf is looked at, even in this episode, it, it's kind of weird the way they look at him, because that's part of the fake tension, right? And it's like, is Worf going to betray the Enterprise crew to join these right. two strangers he's never met before? Well, I mean, right. I, I never bought that tension. I never, any more than I bought the tension that Data might betray the crew in order to side with lore. I, I I don't I don't buy it. Right. Right. And I never did. And can, I, can you do your uh, can we trust data? <laughs> yeah, Yar calls calls data out in the middle of bridge. Captain, can we trust data? <laughs> and it's like of course, of course. we can. Of course. We never gave it a second thought. Picard says that thing. It's good that you asked that question, Tasha. There, there, Data. Don't let your pretend feelings get the better of you. She's asking a re- re- reasonable question, for God's sakes. After all, you are a robot. They don't come straight out and say that about Worf, though. They don't come straight out and say, you know, can we trust Worf? Hey, do you think we can trust Worf? Right. But it's pretty clear that there's some tension some fake tension about what side he's going to to choose right. when they're having their face off. I mean, he's literally, of course, placed between Chorus and Conmel and the security detachment being led by right. Tasha Yar, right? Right. And then that's when the break, da-na-na-na, break. Time for a Bisquick commercial. <laughs> right. Have you seen the new Buicks? There's a scene where they're going to arrest these guys in the hallway and Tasha... Uh, comes to arrest him and he's caught in the middle and uh, you're right it is funny and phony and then Worf goes instead of he walks away from the two his two brother Klingons and stands next to Tasha and she says I thought we were going to have a problem you know as if as if she couldn't trust him I mean for a moment there yeah but I like because I like his response he's like why and why why you even think that he doesn't say exactly why but he's kind of got this like duh Duh, Tasha Yar. You're so dumb, Tasha. I hope you don't get smacked around by a big old sentient tar creature anytime soon. <laughs> no. Yeah, come on. I can see a tar creature in your future. <laughs> well, I, I do think it's interesting, though, that the, the, the question of what do Klingons who are not at war look like in this series, and of course... A little spoiler for everyone, they they end up sort of turning on each other, and there's a lot of intrigue and threats of civil war that Worf gets involved in. Oh, later on. Yeah, right. later yeah. on. This is the first time we really get a glimpse of Klingon values and their code. So there is that wonderful moment. They're, they're trying to arrest Chorus and Conmel to, to hand over to the Klingon ship that Dave mentioned earlier that's come to collect them. And then, of course, a child runs right in the middle of the action because it's a family ship. It's a family ship. So this little girl runs in and Chorus grabs (laughs) her and it's like, "Uh uh-oh, what's he going to do? And it's like, uh, it's not going to do anything. Klingons don't take hostages. I mean, uh, that was a little moment and I kind of like that. But then at the same time, 
it's okay for Klingons to hijack a ship full of people and separate half of it and take it off to go plunder the galaxy. I mean, you know, it, it there's implied violence by these two. They're going to go out oh, and yeah. act like Klingons, yeah, yeah, yeah. which means... And, and they were just on a ship where they killed the people that were on the ship. Like, they were rescued from a ship where they killed... But Dave, the, they Dave, Dave, the, Dave. Yeah. They didn't take hostages. Yeah. Come on. Oh, Come on! Okay. All right. Well, as, as long as you could just kill them instead. Yeah, you, okay. you can. You can absolutely pummel the surface of the planet with photon torpedoes. You can right. slaughter everyone on that. That's totally fine. Hostages? Okay. That's a little. You know, that's a little gross. It's going, it goes too far. This far, <laughs> no farther. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about some of the action because I was excited when I saw Klingons because oh, I yeah. thought to myself, now we're going to get into some Captain Kirk double karate chop oh, action. Yes. Every time the Klingons came on the old show, you knew there were going to be some drop kicks, there was going to be some neck pinching, there was Fisticuffs. going to yeah, fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Thank you. Captain, what are fisticuffs? <laughs> that, uh... <laughs> that's when I smack your ass. <laughs> Sean Connery. If you, it's when you ask too many stupid questions, Data. I'll give you fisticuffs. <laughs> so, and we do get some good phaser action, man. They whip out well, those little dust busters. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, the Enterprise phaser. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I can still can't understand why sometimes they have the little phasers, because they took the little phasers over to the ship. Right. And then other times they have the dustbuster phasers. It seems to me I would take the dustbuster phasers over to the uh, the foreign ship I was going into, but that's just me. Anyway, we do get some good. Well, phaser and it was action. really messy. It was really messy over there too. So they could have done a little housekeeping while they were there with those dust. With the dustbusters, they could have cleaned up some of the uh, dust. The whole opening sequence. I mean, we were talking about this whole Klingon part of it, but we don't even get the Klingons for. I mean, it might be five minutes. It's under ten because there's this whole opening where. Riker and company uh, beam over to the ship, which is about to explode. The mattress! They're searching for the faint life form signals they're getting because they want to rescue whoever's still alive on the ship. And the, cl- the clock is ticking, right? The clock is ticking, but also at the same time, I- if you'll remember... Jordy is doing some funny thing with his eyeglasses. He's using the visual acuity transmitter. The visual acuity transmitter which is like a little box that he velcros to the side of his visor the box allows uh, a feed to go back to the bridge (laughs) so people can see what Jordy sees which is not as amazing as flying through space on a galaxy class starship going through warp drive and all this kind of stuff that's going on for some reason it is incredibly interesting to Captain Picard that he can see what Jordy sees you know that Patrick Stewart had no idea what the hell he was supposed to be looking at, right? So he had no idea it was basically going to be like a black light poster. He was probably told, listen, be really surprised, okay? Patrick, be really surprised. Sure, sure. And, and then afterwards, they're like, what do we got? I don't know. Shift the reds over a little. Make them glow. <laughs> what's so weird is that, jo- and it's supposed to be amazing, but what's so weird is that jo- what Jordy sees is complete mush you can't make heads or tails of it and the idea is it's supposed to be cool because Jordy's supposed to be reading these signals that are coming in and right. being able to be right. so smart that he can decipher the information that's coming into this headset but what we're seeing 
we're not we're not seeing the selection process. We're just seeing. So we're not like actually seeing what Jordy's seeing. We're seeing what's coming into the visors. They didn't even use Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner, right? They used their stand-ins to do this. Is that is that what they did? Because I couldn't I couldn't figure out what was going on. And they put something on they put something on Data's face. When Jordy looks at Data, apparently uh, he can't see anything. It's just like a blank thing. It's like Data is literally a thing, yeah, and, like an object. He's not a person at all to Jordy, like the way he sees him. And it's a weird idea. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's good. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe what they're saying is that Jordy doesn't need sight to know that because Jordy and Data become very good friends. That Jordy doesn't need to see what Data looks like to uh, accept him as a as another you know person. Well, he's busy imagining what Tasha Yar looks like. Remember, <laughs> you're more beautiful than I imagined. And and the thing is, they 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 spend <laughs> the whole first part of the episode on this thing, and right. we're never going to see it again. Nor does oh. it have any impact on the plot. I kept thinking yeah. that he was going to see something and then later on right. do a little callback and say, hey, Captain, this reminds me when I was there, I saw a Klingon something, a Klingon, think of something funny. Vestigial limb. <laughs> a vestigial limb. <laughs> yes. But I saw it like I, I, when I was Phantom there. Phantom limb. <laughs> I love Phantom Limb. It's a Phantom Limb. It's a all Phantom Limb episode number one. <laughs> but you know, like when I was there, I noticed a weird compound on the hull of the other ship, right. and now it's on the hull of our ship, and it, it's nothing. It's absolutely well, nothing. It's just like, look, d- uh, he can do this really neat thing when we feel like doing it. We can do it, or when we got ten minutes to kill. But don't think it's you're, you're feeling with the, the idea of Chekhov's gun, right? Uh, yes, yes. The idea that the Anton Chekhov, the playwright, yes. not not, not Mister Chekhov, the, uh, not the character, not the character. But if you see a, a gun in Act One, it it's got to be used by Act Four, right? right? So you see this this superpower of Geordie's that they never really make good use of in Act One, and then you never see it again. Well, think about it. Think about it. There's a there there was an obvious place it should have showed up because you have these Klingons when they they're eventually later on they're put into jail on the ship, right? The brig. The, the I'm sorry, and they have this gun that's part of their belt and they assemble it, which is kind of cool. It's a cool sequence. I but love that. It's completely something Jordy could have seen. Like he could have seen like a heat signature on it or something like yeah, that with the, right. with the visors. Like it's right. they literally had it in the script. But there it was. It was something that he could have seen them do. And and it would have ruined the scene because it was cool when they put this gun together. But I love stuff like that. You know, I, I think about man with the golden gun, you know, and mm. the, the golden gun is actually made of different parts. Like, here's a pen. Here's a lighter. Here's some right. golden crocs for the handle and stuff like that. It, it, it's a bunch of different stuff being put together. It's so cool. And why they don't do that more often in that show, I don't know. Well, it's not even an effect. It's a prop. It's a practical thing that they're doing on camera, and it does make it look really cool. I mean, I, I do have to take issue with the gun that they assemble because it is kind of a flimsy, dorky-looking thing. But I love the idea of it, that they're, they're wearing all this gear and garb, and, they, and, and it's like, of course, we're, we're, you know, there, there should be a couple knives in there, too, by the way. Yeah, well, I also, I also think it's pretty lucky that it was the two of them had all the parts and not the one guy who died. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, or didn't they take something off of him? They they may have. They, I, I think they, they may also, have taken a couple of the parts off of him. Now that I think about it, and also you know what was really cool, which I love because they never did this in the original show. They had something that disabled the force field. Yes, yes. That they also had in the in their in their gear too. So they had something that they tap on the force field, turns the force field off, and they can go out and you know murder the 
anybody they wanted to. They didn't murder anybody, but they 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 could have. No, they did. They, they kill, kill one guy. guy. They kill one They're, guy. Oh, right there they do. Yeah. I should point out that the director of this episode, this guy Rob Bowman, who would also work on X Files and a bunch of other things, points out that he specifically wanted Con Mel to have to be hit three times by phaser blasts in order for him to go down. <laughs> which right. which I dig. I mean, I love that kind of thing. He's like, you know, they're real tough sons of bitches. They need to go right. down hard with those three phaser blasts. I love the sound the phasers make anyway. So yeah, arg. He gets a nice arg out of it. Yeah, but, you know, disappointing. Again, there was a moment for our, our beautiful Yar to shine. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Tasha Yar should have been the person shooting this guy. And I, I don't, I just can't, because they have a bunch of uh, of goofy guys playing these security people chasing the Klingons down, and, right. and Yar should have been the one doing it. But, yeah, I mean, Yar totally should have taken him down. We also get the final battle, and the final battle, I was really, again, hoping for, like, a physical confrontation, and instead... We got this horrible self-help debate. I don't know right. who Chorus is, and maybe he is like the Tony Robbins of Klingon. I don't know. <laughs> but his whole, like, the, the argument that they have at the end is just absolutely hilarious and filled with all kinds of things to put on, like, Klingon pillows. You could sew them on there. Right, mugs. Do not deny the challenge of your destiny. <laughs> and Dave, how many times do I have to tell you to open your eyes and let your dreams take flight? Uh, there's like a Klingon uh, poster hanging on Klingon offices. It's a little cat hanging from a branch saying, uh, get off your knees and soar. Yeah, Klingon successories. <laughs> Did you know that the true test of a warrior is not without, Dave? It's within! So so at the end, it's it's a debate between Worf and Chorus in engineering, right by the uh, the warp core of the goddamn ship, right? Yeah. He's going to blow up the ship. He's going to blow up the ship with that same little girl that he didn't murder <laughs> earlier. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> well, she's not a hostage. She's she's free. Right. What, what did Picard said? Should should meet death awake. Right. Uh, 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 come on, everyone. We're about to explode. Wake up. Wake <laughs> the fuck up, Wesley. Rubbish. <laughs> We're going to blow up. Crush our wake up. But then I like the fact that Worf just kind of like shrugs and shoots him too. It's, it's you know, it's like Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah. uh, when he faces a guy with a sword in the marketplace and he just shoots him. The guy falls through the glass. And at least they try to make the angle interesting. Well, listen, that, I mean, and I know Bowman, you get some credit in this episode for kind of playing around with some of the angles. I mean, it still is early on on the show, so he really did make somewhat of a mark because he's done a bunch of episodes, but shooting engineering, we've only seen engineering, we've seen the core a few times, and we've seen it from these limited angles, but here we get Worf, and they're on these upper levels, and they're standing on the walkways, which are glass, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's a pretty big feat. You know, to build that kind of a set, yeah. right? And this is still TV, you know, it's TV sure, back sure. in the 80s. What I thought was cool, though, was when, and it's cheesy, but when he dies, he goes crashing through the glass and, you know, the deck right, breaks right. and he goes crashing down onto the floor. There's a lot of shortcuts that the show takes at other times. And I always get excited when they do a little bit, uh, a little bit extra with that kind of stuff. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I do like that. It, it makes me worry about the quality of the workmanship on the ship, you know, it's like, yeah, this warp coil is absolutely essential to the operation of the ship. It's remarkably powerful at any minute. Right. You know, it's it's very fragile. But if a guy shoots it with a gun he made from his his menswear collection, it's going to blow up the whole ship. <laughs> and then the guy, guy gets shot yeah. and he crashes through the, you know, don't jump up and down on that glass. 
Whatever you're doing, don't let those kids <laughs> up there to jump up and down or to wrestle. Well, or they're going to go right through the thing. It is really kind of silly, but I, I, I still liked it. I mean, think about it. The ship. Oh, I like it too. I like it too. I'm just being a jerk. I mean, remember the original ship? I mean, it got, it got a lot of rocket. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They get thrown from side to side. I mean, that glass would have broken right away. Exactly. I, I know we talk about this. There's like two or 3,000 people on this ship, right? Who a lot of them, we don't, we have no idea what they're doing, but I guarantee you could, you could give up maybe one, two, three dozen people and have them just be security people around that warp core. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I haven't, I mean, personally, I haven't commanded any starships, but I think that would be pretty near the top of my to-do list. You know, put, put some security around the warp core, put a couple uh, security officers at the transporters, maybe a few in the shuttle bay. I don't know. I just want to say to you that you shouldn't deny the challenge of your destiny, that you may be able to pilot a Galaxy-class starship one day once you get off your knees and soar, which in and of itself is kind of a weird thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We talked about poor Tasha. There's no Troy or Wesley in this particular episode. Right, right. I. It's funny, again, with the Troy, because... You know, it's the superpower thing. We're we're getting into superpower issues in this episode with Jordy, but here you have an opportunity uh, for Deanna to do something. I mean, why isn't Picard going? Please come down. We've got some uh, deceptive Klingons here, for God's sakes. A little mind reading, if you don't mind. Counselor Troy, please help me with my brothers. The episodes she isn't in are always these types of episodes. Well, we could solve this in five seconds if Deanna Troy was there. She'd know they're lying. Well, and, and actually, they they could have given Tasha Yara a break this time. And she ends up getting slighted that way. When, when you know, Worf says, you know, he wants to show the Klingons around. That's cool. That makes sense. And Picard's like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. There you people. Go ahead. And, and we could buy that. That's not a problem. But when the shooting starts and there's security to be done it should be tasha up front right and it ends up with with Worf, right. you know in the final battle and any, and everything and i guess that's fine it makes sense for the dramatic tension if chorus starts going on about how tasha should open her eyes and let her dreams take flight it's kind of a different feel <laughs> right. and troy yeah. could have said something like you know i don't know if i trust these guys they're hot for beta Zeds to read, but I'm going to tell you right now, Captain, uh, these these two give me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, you know, it is interesting. Uh, Picard has absolutely no opinion on the Klingons, and I, I don't know if they were trying to keep him like that because it's a sort of uh, anti-Kirk move, especially in the movies. Kirk was very negative about the Klingons because they killed his son, of course. Klingon bastard. And and before that, he, he was a bit jaded by his, his early Klingon experiences, but Picard seems to have nothing to say about the Klingons at all. I mean, he doesn't... You killed my son. You killed my son. Well, the, the weird thing with Picard, and this, this becomes one of those things where Picard and Riker kind of get messed up and swap places. At first, Riker's the one that's really into the Klingon society. And then before you know it, it's Picard who's taking the lead on the interactions with the Klingons. But you're right. I mean, he doesn't seem to be particularly interested. Uh, he, he was interested in seeing the death ritual, right? Where you, you got that weird death ritual where you open someone's eyes while right. they're dying. Seems a little creepy to me. But, you know, what can you do with that? Is it Picard or Crusher who notes this is the first time the Klingon death ritual has been witnessed on a Starfleet ship or or out of, you know, Klingonia? The Klingon who was injured on the ship is brought over to sickbay, and Beverly Crusher can't save him. Worf and the two, two remaining Klingons 
surround him. They open his eyes so they can so he can they can stare at him. He can see something as he's dying, right? And then then they all uh, scream. Roar! And the camera and the camera is above them and kind of uh, uh, yeah. uh, craning up while they're screaming. And 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 this, all the glass and sick bay shatters. Yeah. Crusher's covering her head. And then at the end, when Worf has to shoot Cormel. Uh, Chorus, Chorus, Cormel, Cormel. (laughs) When he has to shoot Cormel. Was that his name, Cormel? Cormel. Sounds like a sausage brand or something. (laughs) His name was Harvey Cormel. He used to be on the uh, Carol Burnett show. (laughs) Right. Mm. (laughs) Tim Conway, I do not find that amusing. It will murder you. Do the... uh, Tarzan call, but as a Klingon. That'd be great if in the death ritual. Oh, 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 my God. We are so old. We are so, so old. Well, listen, listen. What other uh, Star Trek, the next generation rewatch does not reference Carol Burnett's show, okay? I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a roar and sing a song. Seems we just take a hostage, and before you know it, comes the time we have to say so long. So long! Good night, every Klingon. So uh, Carol Burnett used to sing out the show. It was a great way of ending. Yeah, just like that. Only we're not ending the show yet, because... Yes. I'm I'm about out. The only thing we haven't covered is our uh, beautiful website. Oh my gosh, are you talking about TNGs.com? TNG. G-E-E-Z dot com, where you can hear all of our streaming episodes and see all of the beautiful episode art we've created. Yeah, go there and enjoy. If you just can't get enough of us, uh, there's more. There's there's even more. I think the only one who can't get enough of us is us. <laughs> so why don't we just go ahead and hijack this, hijack this battle bridge and... Uh, right. You know, just don't take any hostages. Oh, man, I can't believe it. The next episode is... The Arsenal of Freedom. And I can't even tell you how excited I am about the Arsenal of Freedom. Of Freedom! We haven't had any Armin Shimmerman in a long time, but we get some hardcore Vince Chiavelli action. I am very excited that he's going to be in this next episode. He's good. Yes. It's a good one. It's a really good episode. It's a fun episode. I have to say that I don't think this is a bad episode, too. When we look back at the season, no. you know, the, the, the plot line's pretty simple, and the acting's pretty good. I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about is the fact that I, I, I think uh, Mr. Dorn does a pretty damn good job as yeah, Worf in this. I, yeah, I got to give Dorn some credit. You know, he really has owned this this character, and he, and he still owns it. He's still out there trying to make the, the Worf show. Anything that is negative about Worf, I really, I don't want to blame it on Dorn, okay? I, I mean, it really is, it's a lot to handle, this character, and he's doing a lot with it. And they're dumping a bunch of stuff on him, like we talked about tonight. He's he's having to handle a lot, and I think I think you're right. He does a good job. So you're saying he's trying to get the Wharf show? Does that is that like a talk show? Like a syndicated talk show? <laughs> well, like I, a daytime I, thing. It, it, Next, the cooking session. It, it'll be it'll be what takes over the Ellen show when that finally gets canceled. It'll be it'll be Wharf. All right, and that should be the title of the show. It'll be Wharf. I'd be very excited. I'd be very excited to see that. I would like to be on that show. I would like to yeah. be his Andy Richter. Yeah, it, w- it would be great. He has to put that on every day. It, it, yeah, his Ed McMahon. Go out and do a talk show. Oh, my God. are you? I would never stop watching that if there was a show like that. <laughs> I would never stop. <laughs> it's actually a show Michael Dorn's been pitching around for a while where Worf, we follow Worf in his later years, and he's commanding some kind of spaceship. 
No, no. I like the idea that he's got a talk show and he's like, his stupid pet tricks are all his Targ. Remember his, his <laughs> right, Klingon yes. Targ? His, jump Targ! My Klingon Targ! <laughs> Don't just sit there. Jump through the hoop. It's only Klingon <laughs> fire, you idiot. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Next, home crafts. <laughs> right, that, that should be on 24 hours. And now, the comic timings <laughs> of... Jerry Seinfeld Jr. If you were any other comedian, I would kill you where you stand. <laughs> yeah, so they start taking shots at him, and like you know, I, I I've seen better foreheads on a on a Buick. <laughs> he gets his batleth out. Be funny, or you're disintegrated. God bless uh, Michael Dorn. Uh, God bless Lieutenant Worf. God bless each and every one of those little Klingon bastards. All right. Who killed my son? Uh, we we should uh, sign this the sucker out. Thank you once again for listening to another delightful episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast. Not another Next one. Next time it's another one. Not another one. Next time Arsenal of Freedom. Uh, let's go mine the store. Doodly, doodly, doodly. Good night, every Klingon. The line must be drawn here. We're panting like a little Targ after that episode. (laughs) That's Aldebaran Targ shit! We say goodbye to the Klingons and hello to... A planet full of cybernetic killer drones? Wait, what? Oh, the system is called the Echo Papa 607 or something like that. This episode ratchets up the action. Someone's gonna die. I don't need to see people die. Ding! Order up. The Enterprise is handed a plate of danger. There's a lot to unpack in this. In this. Yes, this there's a lot to unpack. Igga bigga bigga. Separate this buck. But at least at this time, this time it makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, the ship is I in know. real danger. Yar gets her chance to step up. Yar will shine. And I'm I'm stressed to to think of another episode where Yar does as well as she does. YWS. We're starting that shit right here. Because she is totally in command of this away team from the beginning. The boys show the love for TNG in this episode. They really do. I love that. I love that. I could see that all day. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not all day, but I could see that more than more than once. All you have to do is push a button, sit there, and listen to our nonsense for episode 20, Arsenal of Freedom. Did you know that the true test of a warrior is not without, Dave? It's within!